Church, let me invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Genesis. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 46, near the end of that chapter, and carry through much of chapter 47. And as I announced uh, last week, we've been in Genesis for quite some time, on and off, and we will finish up uh, the book of Genesis this month. Um, and then for July, we'll have a, a short series from the book of Revelation, and then we'll go in a different direction uh, after that as well. But as we look at God's Word this morning, uh, the central truth that I think that we can take away that we'll see from Genesis chapter uh, 46 verses 28 through uh, roughly chapter 47 verse 27 is that believers must practice influential leadership. Believers in God, people of faith, Christians, followers of Christ must practice influential leadership. That's no secret that our country is in a bit of political unrest presently as uh, our two major political parties are uh, determining what that means to be part of, of those parties and perhaps what it means for some not to be part of either one of those parties. And as we look at God's Word together this morning, I think that we will see that we have much to learn and much to glean from the values and the wisdom in leadership that Joseph portrays. And so let me invite you, as you find your place in Genesis chapter 46, uh, to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 46, beginning in verse 28, uh, God's word reads this way. It says, Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. So remember the context of this story, this father and son. Jacob, also known as Israel, and his son Joseph, his favorite son, have been separated for 20 plus years as Jacob has uh, been convinced by his other sons that Joseph has been uh, killed by uh, some wild beast. And now, after a long time apart, these two are reunited in Egypt. Picking up in verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock. They have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Chapter 47, Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Verse 5, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know any of them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and 
presented him before Pharaoh. After after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. I love uh, Jacob's response there. How old are you? I'm 130 years old, but my life has been short. In essence, is what? He says, verse 10, Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses. As Pharaoh directed, verse 12, Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we invite you, we ask you, Uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us as you do in understanding the truth of your word. Father, we desire to know you more, to honor you, and to be changed as a result of encountering you. So lead us in knowing what it looks like for us as your people today, as your church today, uh, to live in light of the truths of your word as they are found here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So here is what has taken place thus far uh, in this story. Remember that after many years of separation, Joseph's uh, brothers prior to that separation were jealous of uh, their father's favoritism of Joseph. And so they sold their brother to a passing uh, group of uh, traders, a caravan of of, uh, merchants. And Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. After many years serving in Egypt, he finds him place time after time after time again, uh, granted favor in the eyes of his master, all by the providence of God, to the point that Joseph is now the right-hand man of the king of all Egypt, of Pharaoh himself. He's the administrator of the land. He is the one who is responsible in this period of, of famine and or of plenty and now famine Uh, He's the one responsible for collecting grain and then distributing uh, that good, uh, that food to those in in need. And so here he has settled in this foreign land. He has observed the culture. He's learned the language. And so he begins to coach his brothers on what to say to the king. Begins to tell them that when you go before Pharaoh, tell him that you Uh, that you tend to livestock. Different word from the word for shepherd because shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. Some think that this is, uh, he is coaching uh, his brothers what words to use before the king, knowing that some words trigger a stronger reaction, in this case a negative reaction, than others. And, And others just think that Joseph is telling his brothers to be upfront, to be honest, uh, to tell them this is, these are your intentions, this is who you are, you, you are shepherds and, and you do that because that's what your family has a history of doing. And now you're here because there is no food in your land, the land of Canaan. And you are here only temporarily. So please let us settle in this region. And the result of all of this is that God is working, as we know, behind the scenes, through the circumstances, through people. And he grants this family favor in the eyes of the king to the point that Pharaoh tells these brothers to settle, verse 6, in the best part of the land, the region of Goshen in the eastern delta. And he goes on, he says, if any of them have special ability, 
If any of you are especially gifted, then put them in charge of my own livestock. So somehow, some way, Joseph, through his wise leadership, is able to grant both his father and his brothers an audience with the king of all of Egypt. Something presumably very difficult to do. Joseph is operating in a leadership position by faith in God, using biblical wisdom in dealing with Pharaoh. And likewise, church, God calls us to use wisdom in dealing with leaders in this world. God calls us as people of faith, as his people, to use wisdom in dealing with the leaders of the world. Joseph was in a unique place, entrusted with great responsibility and even great authority as the second in command in the land. But even so, he knew that that could change in a moment. He still honored his superior. He still honored the king of the land. He remembered what happened to Pharaoh's uh, baker and cupbearer. In a moment, they lost favor in the eyes of their master and they were thrown in prison. He knows that the same thing can happen to him. And so he is honoring the one in authority over him. And there are some things that I think we as believers today who believe in this book and the truths that God conveys through this book, can glean and can learn about leadership from Joseph here. And the first is this, that we are called to trust in the one with ultimate authority. As believers, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to trust in the one with ultimate authority. By ultimate authority, I'm not talking about the king, I'm not talking about Pharaoh, I'm talking about the king of kings, the one and only Sovereign and eternal God. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proper respect and reverence and recognizing who God is. That is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One of God is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And here, Joseph is operating even in this position from the standpoint of faith in God, recognizing who God is and making decisions on the basis of God's authority. You know, sometimes I think that we discredit other people. We certainly do this from time to time, perhaps more than time to time. We undervalue the significance of people, of others, valuable and important in the eyes of of God, but there are also times that we uh, overcredit others, that we give people too much credit. The truth is, that no one is is God. We say things or hear things sometimes, like if if only we would get the right leader in the Oval Office, then everything would be okay, everything would be great. And the truth is that regardless of who is is president, regardless of who's governor, regardless of who is CEO of the company that you work for, God is still on the throne. God rules and he reigns. He is the one and only sovereign God and no one stands in his place. And as believers, church, our primary allegiance must be to him. He is sovereign. He alone is God. We are called to trust in him as the one with ultimate authority. But at the same time, 
we know that we cannot ignore people in positions of authority here. So trust in the one with ultimate authority like Joseph. And secondly, respect those in positions of authority. Let's respect those in positions of authority. The letter written to the Romans addresses this very issue. In fact, let me invite you, if you have a Bible uh, open, to hold your place in Genesis and turn far to the right to uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13 provides instruction and guidance for us as believers as we relate to those in positions of authority over us, particularly uh, government positions of authority. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, God's word reads this way, Let everyone, everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. See, according to God's word, we as believers, as people of faith, as Christians, are called to respect those in positions of authority, even, even, church, when we disagree with them. Now, perhaps it's tempting to read a passage like that and to say, wait a minute, that's, that's from a far different day and, and time. But today we're dealing with sort of an anti growing anti-Christian sentiment among those, many of those who are elected to positions of, of leadership, but also in our culture today. But, but church, this letter, the letter to the Romans, was written to Christians living in first century Rome, experiencing at times some of the harshest Christian persecution that had taken place up until that point. And no doubt, in many ways, much more difficult than what we are facing today. Believers who were persecuted and even wrongly accused and executed under the Roman Emperor Nero and perhaps even later in that century under, under Domitian. And so, friends, we are called to trust the one with ultimate authority and to respect those in positions of authority, but at the same time to acknowledge our greatest allegiance is to God. We're called to respect them, to honor them, even when we disagree with them. We're called to obey the law, to obey those in positions of a leadership, except when they instruct us to do things that are dishonoring to our God. When we are called to engage in activities and practices that are incompatible with our faith in God or are dishonoring to to God, then and and only then do we stand in opposition and 
acknowledge that our obedience to God trumps and supersedes our obedience to any man. Then and only then do we follow the example of Peter and John recorded in Acts chapter 4 when they are arrested and commanded by the leaders of their day no longer to spread or proclaim or speak about the gospel of Jesus. And Peter and John said this, recorded in Acts chapter 4 verse 19, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Church, our primary allegiance is to God. And we must first and foremost be faithful to Him, honoring Him. We are called to trust the one with ultimate authority, respect those in positions of authority. And thirdly, I think we learn from Joseph's actions here that we are called to influence the world for the glory of God. We are called as believers, as Christians, to influence the world for the glory of God. Now, when we read this story here in Genesis chapter, chapters 46 and 47, and Joseph, this position of authority is now caring for his family, right? He's coaching them on how to approach the king to ensure that they get what they need and more. Perhaps it's tempting to read that and say, well, Joseph is, is really just taking care of his family, just providing for his immediate and extended family. And he certainly is is that just as you and I would? You, know, you may not like all of your family, but chances are when push comes to shove, you're going to care for them in a time of, of need. But see here, Joseph is, is doing more than that because he's got more information than that. He is operating from a different perspective. He knows that God has spoken to his father, Jacob. And he knows that God has spoken to his grandfather, Isaac. And he knows that God has spoken to his great-grandfather, Abraham. And he believes that God has spoken to him through dreams and through visions. And he knows that God has a plan to use these people, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to create a nation that would be his people ultimately for the sake of blessing the nations of the world. So Joseph is operating from that perspective to protect and care for and provide for these people to influence the world for the glory of God by caring for his own family who just so happens to be people that God has called to be his people. And friends, we are called to do the same. We are called to influence the world in which we live for the glory of God. So how do we do that? You may may or may not be in what's known as a position of leadership, but, but all of us as believers are called to influence this world for the glory of God. How can we do that? Well, I think we can do that through hard work and modeling biblical values and principles in the workplace. I think we as Christians can do that through faithfulness and love towards our spouses and what is increasingly becoming, it seems, to be a post-marriage culture. I think we can do that as believers in modeling hospitality with our neighbors. I think we can do that through modeling and messaging the love of Christ displayed on the cross, the message of the gospel with all of those that we encounter. We are called to practice influential leadership. So how are you doing that? How are we doing that as followers of Jesus Christ? You might respond and say, I'm not, I'm not a leader. I'm not in a position of of leadership. I don't have any power or authority like, like Joseph did. 
As Wanda very ably shared earlier, if you are influencing others, and you are, if you're influencing others, especially if you're being intentional about influencing others, then you are practicing leadership. God calls us as believers to use wisdom in dealing with leaders in this world. And secondly, I think we learn from the remainder of this story that God uses wise leaders to protect his people and care for the world. God uses wise leaders to protect his people and to care for the world. So look back at the second half of this story. Genesis chapter 47, picking up in verse 13. So good news is Joseph is reunited with his family. They're now safe and secure, provided for in this difficult time. Verse 13 tells us the bad news. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan and payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Verse 16, Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. Verse 18, when that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we, with our land, will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. Verse 20, so Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. Verse 22 tells us that he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough, had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you in your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed from the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. Verse 25, you have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still enforced today that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priest that did not become Pharaoh's. Verse 27, final verse. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. So here... What's going on here is Joseph is serving as the administrator for the king. And he's serving as a negotiator, representing the king to the people, but also representing the people to the king. And he is operating with justice, ensuring that the people are taken care of, but also ensuring that the king is given what he deserves. Not collecting it for himself, but giving 
payment to the king. Now, on first reading of this, it certainly appears that Joseph is being a bit cruel to us. Uh, he is collecting all the money and he is collecting livestock and then he's collecting property and even taking people as servants of the king in exchange for providing for them. But throughout this story, Joseph is portrayed as providing for the needs of the people. He is portrayed as a savior of the people. Verse 25, you have saved our lives. Thank you for saving our lives, for giving us what we need. He establishes this tenant relationship between the people, between the Egyptians and the king, allowing them to continue farming their land, but giving a fifth of the produce to the king, keeping four-fifths of the produce for themselves, which is much more than they need to simply survive in a good year. In fact, Joseph's distribution of seed here displays that he has faith in God that the famine is going to subside soon, just as God has said that it would allowing them to do more than survive and even to to thrive. And notice here that Joseph is not just caring for his own family. He's not just caring for the Hebrews. He is being used by God to save Pharaoh and all of Egypt from the devastation of this, this famine. Because Pharaoh has responded favorably to Joseph as a servant of God, he is experiencing the blessing of God through Joseph. Remember that promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And soon there will be another king who doesn't treat the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob so favorably and will not be blessed by God as a result. But church, we who believe in God are called to practice influential leadership and as as Christians, as people of faith in God, as citizens of Christ's kingdom, most importantly, and secondarily, as citizens of this nation, one way that we can practice influential leadership is through participation in the election process. Let me say this as we move into this concluding portion of our message that Scripture never teaches that this world will become a, um, a place that directly imitates the kingdom of God until the return of Christ. In other words, this culture, our culture, this nation will never be fully transformed to reflect Christian principles and truths and values until the return of Christ. But even so, even so, we are called as believers to be salt and to be light in this world, to influence this culture for the glory of God. So I want to conclude by giving us a few questions to consider as we participate in the election process. So a biblical test for political candidates, and this list is by no means exhaustive, uh, but meant to get us thinking in terms of Christian responsibility and principles. Firstly, as we consider how we will cast our vote for President and other elected offices, we should ask the question, does, does this person value human life? Does he or she value human life? The truth is that God deeply values human life as made in the image and in the likeness of God as the crown of His 
creation. And because God values human life as important, as distinct, then we want leaders who also value human life, all of human life from conception to natural death. All races, all ethnicities, all people and all circumstances. We want leaders who will value human life. Now, if you've been paying attention to the news at all the last several days, then you have probably uh, come across this story from uh, the Cincinnati Zoo uh, in which a three-year-old boy somehow got in the pen with the gorillas and this 450-pound gorilla grabbed a hold of that boy and drug him around the enclosure for several minutes until the zoo officials made a decision to take the life of that animal for the sake of protecting that child. Within a matter of hours, within 48 hours, there was an online petition with over 100,000 signatures calling for justice for the gorilla and blaming the parents for uh, negligence. A church, it's believers in the word of God, submit to the authority of God and believe in the principles and the truths that are conveyed in God's word. Certainly, we don't want to take any life flippantly, but when it comes to the life of an animal and the life of a human being, we side with protecting human life every single time because human life is valuable in the eyes of our Creator. We want leaders who value human life. Secondly, second test, that we want leaders who trust in God. Does he or she trust in God? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the, of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Joseph is an example, good example of biblical leadership led by his faith in God. He believed in God. He trusted God that God would fulfill the promises and the plans that he had revealed. And so he operated and made decisions based upon his trust in God. So as, as people, we want leaders not to play God, but leaders who trust in God. We want leaders who recognize that they are dependent upon God and that they, like the rest of us, are responsible to God. Does he or she value human life? Does he or she trust in God? Thirdly, does he or she exhibit character qualities that honor God? Do they exhibit character qualities that honor God? In other words, do they live and act and conduct themselves in a way that reflects the character of God and who God calls his people to be? In other words, do they, they portray humility and honesty and respect for Others, do they advocate for justice? We could go on and on. What are things that reflect the character of God? These are things that we certainly would like to have in those who are in leadership positions over us. And then fourth and finally, does he or she value religious freedom? Does he or she value religious freedom? So once again, here's Joseph operating and leading to protect his own family who just so happens to be a family who plays a pivotal and key role in the plan of, of God, protecting the people of God. Now, we certainly know that we will not always have a president or congressmen and women or governors or 
local city council folks who are evangelical Christians. But we do hope to have people who recognize religious freedom and that value religious freedom and that recognize that God has allowed for all people to worship who and how they, they desire. That God has given us that freedom. We want people who resist a state-run church and a church-run state. We want leaders who practice influence for the glory of God. Now, unfortunately, as you know by now, Joseph is not running for president this year. So we must prayerfully consider how we as believers in the God of Scripture cast our vote when given the opportunity. So let's be brothers and let's be sisters in Jesus Christ who practice influential leadership for the spread of the glory of our great God. Let's be believers who practice influential leadership through the election process, through our spheres of influence, and otherwise for the glory of God. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and we thank you that you are a God who is with us and that you are a God who protects and provides for your people and it offers hope, not only abundant life here in this life, but eternal life that never ends enjoying your presence and your provision and your greatness and your glory for, for all of eternity. Father, we look forward to the day of the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you will take us to be with you and to enjoy you always. Father, until that day, would you lead us, would you guide us by your spirit to be faithful in following you? Father, give us wisdom in influencing others for your glory. Father, use us in whatever way you see fit to declare your greatness, to proclaim your mercy, and to extend your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.